everyone if you've spent any time in business the five percent of what matters most is usually not the sexiest of topics <laughs> and today I, i'm joined by my buddy terrell turner because we're going to combine two topics that might not be the most trending things for business owners to follow on social but man they're important we're going to be talking about leadership and finance and, and uniting them for becoming a successful business. Terrell, I'm so excited to have you on here, man, because not only do you have an amazing company that you've built that helps people with their accounting finances, but you have a real knack for simplifying this stuff. And I'm so used to saying like taking the legalese out of the legal stuff, but you take like the numbersies out of the financial stuff. So before we dive into things, why don't you share a bit about your backstory and, and what inspired you to, to make the life decisions that created your business? Absolutely. Yeah. So my background started off probably like many people in accounting and finances, studied it in school, decided to go the route of becoming a CPA. And I, I worked in you know, one of the big four accounting firms, and I was an auditor for a while. So very technical focused. And, and I think mm -hmm. that in that journey, I realized like I didn't want to just, you know, study accounting just for the sake of being a very technically savvy person in accounting. Yeah. I actually wanted to understand the numbers so that I can make better, you know, business decisions. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I heard uh, a quote, I think it might have been from Warren Buffett, where someone says that, you know, that accounting is the language of business. And so mm. if you don't understand that language, you're going to struggle to be successful in business. 100%. So I, I figured, you know what, what other field would allow a, you know, young 20 something inexperienced person to get in there, to dig in, learn about all these different businesses. And I was like, well, maybe if I was an accountant and an auditor, I can do that. And so that's kind of what led me down that trail. And I think, after realizing that as an auditor, you're really just coming in telling people what they did wrong or that you did this right. <laughs> sure. just, just like you are not the most pleasant person to deal with if you're the auditor. So I was like, how do I move into actually becoming part of the decision making process and part of the solution instead of the person who's just, you know, protecting the rules or being the hall monitor. Any lawyers who are tuning in should be like, <laughs> amen right now, because we feel the same way a lot of the time. <laughs> so I moved over to working for um, Fortune 500 company and was fortunate. Like I, I, you know, done a good job to where my my manager at the time recommended me to go into like the company's leadership, finance leadership program. And that gave me exposure to doing different roles. And I think 
the one that probably changed my trajectory like forever was I joined um, the investor relations group and my job there was to understand the numbers and help the CEO, the CFO and, and the senior executives help them explain what was going on financially to potential investors, to Wall Street analysts, and any time that they were being interviewed by like newspapers or major publications. So it's like, I had to learn how to explain finance in layman's terms. And I think that just kind of set the pace for me forever of like, this is what I want to do. I want to take accounting concepts, understanding business models, and then how do I explain these in a way to help people make informed, smarter money decisions. And so I just continued on that path, which eventually led me into starting my own firm. And that's really what we focus on is helping business owners take the finance and make smarter, informed business decisions. Man, I love it. As speaking business owner to business owner, I feel like I have to ask was, was deciding to go out on your own and start your own business was that a, did that feel like a big or scary jump for you? Or by the time that you made that decision, did it feel like a pretty comfortable and confident next step? So I would say is by the time I made the decision, it didn't feel as scary. Hmm. But I will say is like, because I toyed with the idea for like maybe about five years before I actually pulled the trigger to fully, you know, say, hey, I'm going to fully do it. Um, so those five years, it was very scary, which is probably why it took me five years. Um, and so (laughs) my wife and I had a ton of conversations about that over the years. And it just finally got to the point where the last corporate job I had, I was literally working like 90 hour work weeks because we were, it was a software company. We were raising private equity funding and we were constantly meeting with potential investors and it was just nonstop. And I remember one time, like my wife and I, we went out on a date and I'm like literally sitting at the table in the restaurant with my work laptop on the table and we're supposed to be eating. And I'm just like, this has to stop. (laughs) So at that point it was just like, all right, I know I can't keep doing this. So starting my own business, it has to be the route that I go. And, and we talked about it and, we came to that conclusion in December of 2019 and the company I was with asked me to stay on a little bit longer and to wrap up some projects. And it just so happened, I finished wrapping up my project on March 30th of 2020. So April 1st of 2020 is when I started my business full time. Wow. Oh, that's awesome, man. And and you, when you talk about the company that you left, I want to ask some questions as we start to transition into leadership and finance. I, I would imagine that uh, your typical business that you're working with now might not be necessarily as big as some of the businesses that you were working at, at, at a, you know, a larger firm. Um, a, as we start to talk about this overlap between leadership and finance and like the team building side of it, um, Tell us a little bit more about the revenue ballparks of the businesses mm-hmm. that you work with. And not that I'm trying to, to say that any numbers are, are good or bad. I, I'm not putting any judgment to, you know, what people's metrics are right now. But are you are you tending to work with people like around the the 
million dollar mark, multi seven figures, six figures. What does your typical client look like? Yeah, so I would say now our typical client um, usually comes to us. They're about maybe just under a million up to maybe around a little north of five million is kind of like the 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 sweet the the consistent spot of where our clients are now. Um, and, and I would say prior to you know coming into my own firm, like the companies that I work with, I mean, some of them were as much as. 25 billion in you know annual revenue um to where it's just like ridiculous levels now the fortunate thing for me is i often worked like for one part of my career i worked for general electric and i worked Mm -hmm. in their aviation division and you know i was tapped to be the finance leader for aviation division and so it's like i got the the best of both worlds of seeing a smaller division within a 25 billion dollar division And just being able to see all of them. And, and I think for me is where I realized that, you know, the bigger organization gave me a chance to understand, hey, here are the issues that happen as you grow. And then I started looking at smaller companies and saying, like, we need to put some things in place now because they may not be a problem now. But as you continue to grow, this is going to become a problem later on. So right. I feel like I, I have a perspective of seeing, like, the full life cycle of when you're small and after when you grow and you're dealing with some really big global problems. Uh, I, I'm sorry for getting a little distracted as Terrell was talking here, but this was a reminder for myself that I wanted to uh, put his website up on the screen here. Uh, and if you're listening to the podcast version, it's tlturnergroup.com. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to his website now because for anybody who might not yet, if you are at close to a million to 5 million and you're like, oh, we need someone like Terrell, by all means, reach out and sign up with him. But one of the things that I love about Terrell is he is so giving and generous and you can see so many resources and toolkits and other things on his website that I think can be super helpful if you're not quite ready to work with with him and his firm uh, one-to-one yet. So that being said, Terrell, if, if we look uh, in the opposite end of the spectrum as the $25 billion companies, maybe those companies who are you know, on their way to reaching to become the type of business that can work with you one-to-one, let's talk about the, the leadership and team barriers and mistakes that if you could get inside those businesses, um, what what are the mistakes that you think you'd see, and how do you think you would you would recommend course correcting things there? Absolutely, and, you know, and I love working in you know with businesses in that space. I mean, it's part of the reason why we started creating a ton of content because we create a, a ton of videos. My wife and I created a podcast around that. Like, it's called the stuff your accountant isn't telling you because. <laughs> We were seeing the horror stories of people were dealing with things like, you know, when they were smaller, they made certain hiring decisions and no one ever taught them how to really assess their capacity and what could you afford? Because, you know, a lot of times when you're that small and you're in that growth stage, you're just like, man, the work is too much for me to do myself. I just need help. And Mm. oftentimes they don't necessarily think through, well, you know, how am I going to structure this person's job or what should, you know, reasonable compensation be for what I need them to do? Or 
even taking the time to create a clear processes around what am I asking this person to do and what are their targets? What are going to be that person's objectives? And what I often find is people just, they hire out of desperation. Um, and then later on, they're like, man, I can't afford to keep this person. Either I, as the owner, have to cut my salary or we can't afford to hire more wow. people because, you know, we're kind of, you know, you know, where our finances are not, you know, in a place that allows us the flexibility to keep growing because of, you know, decisions we made out of desperation when we were smaller. Yeah, that that issue of cutting your own pay so you can make team costs and, and cover that I know is such a big thing that very few people talk about openly. I know I've gone through my own growing pains with that. Uh, and I think that this is a particularly difficult issue because there are a lot of well-meaning mentors and coaches and more successful business owners that encourage others to hire fast, start delegating and, and getting out of X, Y, Z roles um, so that you can focus on other things. And, and so I love what you're saying here. If I could just walk through a little thought experiment that you can help me, maybe help me get some clarity around. Let's say that there was a business owner that was in that type of situation and they realized that they, they, they're starting to, to reach capacity in terms of their time. And they have a couple of options on the table in terms of how they can start hiring to, to free up their time to help the business. And, and one option is bringing on, let's use lawyers as an example, bringing on another type of an, an attorney to help do work, which could very likely be a, a significant cost. Um, but it would free up you, the business owner, from some of those big kind of deep work, but time sucks. Or you could hire someone who could start to take off more and more of the, the administrative tasks that you're still juggling. Do you have any recommendations on which one do you delegate first, those administrative tasks or that the, the, the higher value tasks that might deplete your energy faster? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the way I usually approach that, if I'm talking to a person is like, if we're looking at that and I'll ask them, okay, where are you spending more of your time? Um, mm -hmm. Are you spending more of your time on the admin related things? Or are you spending your time more on like the technical legal um, work that you're doing? And if they come back and say, well, I'm spending more time on the admin stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, if we hired an admin, how much of your time would that free up? And then I think the other very important question that I think that they have to think through is, let's say we hire an admin and that frees up, you know, at 15 hours a week of your time. Okay, now that you have that free 15 hours, what are you going to do with that extra time you have? Yes, <laughs> because ideally you need to spend that extra time on revenue generating tasks, right? Yes, <laughs> Yes, because, and, and I think most people don't ask that question sometimes. So what I find is that, you know, that person frees up the 15 hours and then they just go do something else admin related. Right. And I'm like, you're going to run into a cash problem. I'm like, now that you freed up that, that time, you need a target on, okay, all right, how many incremental customers do you need to be bringing in so that you can continue growing? Because I'm like, 
If you just trade one list of admin tasks for another, you're going to end up in that same problem in just a couple of months. Like, yeah, you have more free time, but you're actually going to have less money eventually because you're not bringing in incremental revenue, but you have increased your cost by yeah. hiring someone. And when you when you do ask that follow-up question, and let's just say they're like, you know what, Terrell, that's a really good question. I don't know what I would do with my extra time. Do, do you have go-to, you know, here's what we would recommend that you do with that extra time that you have? Yeah. So what I always tell them, um, and, and I think, and I always appreciate people who are honest about that. Mm-hmm. And what I usually tell them is that they're saying like, well, I don't know what I would do at that time. It's like, okay, let's look at it this way. How much is hiring an admin or a legal assistant or how much is hiring that person going to cost? Then let's look at what is your average customer pay you? So how many new customers do you need to make sure that person's cost is covered? And I think for them, it starts to help them. Well, I'm going to need about two more customers a month to cover that cost. Okay, well, whatever you do with the 15 hours, just make sure we can fit two more. You getting two more customers every month to cover that cost. And then you can figure out whatever else you want to do, because I think as long as you're you're solving that finance problem, it will give you flexibility because if you don't solve the finance problem, I can almost tell you what you're going to be doing with that extra 15 hours is worrying and stressing. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and and I love the way you worded it too, because it's spending that time finding and getting those extra clients, not necessarily servicing those clients. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. Let, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, I don't know how often you work with business owners that are, that are really starting to feel like a time crunch when they run into certain cash flow issues. It's like, okay, we need to do stuff this week, this month to really turn things around. And yes, there are, there are maybe cost cuttings that we can do later. Um, but what do you recommend that people do when they, when they need to get new leads quickly? Yeah. So when people need to get new leads quickly, I think the first thing that I tell them to do is something that I've even had to do myself. And I had to learn this in running a business myself is that, you know, sometimes your greatest, you know, referrals or leads can come from your existing clients is we need to look at, you know, who are you currently providing great service to? Because they probably know other people who would probably be a good client for you. And so one of the things that I would recommend is go back, have it, you know, look at who have you helped and then either ask them to write a review or give them a call or send them an email and ask them if they know anyone else who would, who needs the type of help that you provided to them. And I think people would be surprised like the number of leads that that can give you. And then great. I think the next thing is really start surveying your your network. And and for me is that was one of those those things that I had to learn about, you know, people in your network know people who need your service. Oftentimes they just don't know exactly what you do. (laughs) I mean, right. (laughs) And what we had to do in our firm is we just had to get better at telling people and one of the things that I, you know, I know a lot of other accounting firms and a lot of other accountants. And what I did is I went back and talked to some of them and said, hey, you know, what? 
we work with service-based businesses, but, you know, we really specialize in law firms. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, they started giving me introductions to other law firms who were looking for, you know, bookkeepers or CFOs. And part of it was, it was like, oh, I had never given them enough clarity so they know what type of business to refer my way. And so I think things like that can help. And and then I also, I would say this is one of the big things that I advise a lot of businesses is, you know, a lot of times when, you know, you're, you really desperately need to increase your revenue and we'll look at kind of their, their products or their services that they offer. A lot of times they've talked to some people who would love to do business with them, but their pricing is a little, little more, a little bit mm-hmm. above what they can afford. And so I always tell people is, well, if you're a business owner and you're an entrepreneur, you can always segment some of your services to say, hey, they would love to do business with you. Maybe they can only afford this small piece. Well, yeah. pull that piece out and sell that as a a la carte type of approach to help you get some revenue in the That's door. Really great. Um, because if you need revenue desperately, maybe you need to go the a la carte approach to really get some money flowing until sure. you can really get back to marketing for your full service package. That's super, super well said. Um, and I also want to speak to, you know, for any business owner that might be listening and saying like, this is all sounding great. But one thing that I thought of as you were talking was, you know, this idea of reaching out to your existing clients and asking them for a review, asking them for an intro or connection. It's such a golden nugget of wisdom. And I can see how some business owners, especially if they have teams that are helping with the fulfillment side, might be thinking to themselves, um, if my clients, let's say that they've, they're really only getting uh, communicated with by my team, uh, would they be turned off at all if suddenly I reached out to them for the first time asking for a referral or asking for an intro? Do you have any thoughts or, or response around that for maybe the, the lawyer who might be a hesitant to reach out because they built their business where they're not really the one that's communicating with the mm-hmm. client anymore. Yeah. And, and I think that that is a very valid, valid, you know, factor to consider, because I would mm-hmm. say is, you know, if your business has been built up that way, where there's some, a staff member within your company, that's that, that person has only interacted with that staff member and you pick up the phone and call. It's like, you obviously don't want to go into the conversation asking them for something because yeah. they don't know, like, or trust you. I mean, because mm-hmm. they just haven't been dealing with you to where I've even recommended some people just approach it as like, hey, intro- tell them who you are. Tell them that you're calling because, you know, you want, to, you want them to understand that there's a whole team, a whole business that is supporting them. And to yeah. where I think what it does is it, it then in the mind of the person you're talking to, they start to connect the dots of, wow, I know I've only been dealing with this one person, but hey, this owner that picked up the phone and called me, they've been involved in the background of helping me get a great result. And it lowers people's resistance to wanting to, you know, give you a referral or even talk to you about like, hey, some other opportunities. Um, And then I do think when you, because when you do lower that risk 
or that that resistance barrier a little bit or whatever, yeah. you're gonna get a, some honest feedback, and it allows you also to get some feedback on how they feel about the staff member that they've been working with. So yeah, you really can collect point. some data in that aspect as well. Really, really good points, man. Throughout this, uh, <laughs> this is so good. I feel like I, uh, I'm trying to just compete with your great podcast and all the episodes <laughs> that you put out. Um, but let's, let's transition to, you know, closer to the seven figure level. Um, once a business is at, at that point, how, how does, leadership start to shift in terms of what the issues and mistakes tend to look like at that level? Yeah. So as you get closer to, you know, the, the, the seven figures and, and growing beyond, it's like the amount of work that needs to be done, the amount of customers that you're working with, you just do not have the capacity to do it all yourself. Like yeah. you can't be involved in every single interaction with the client. And, and I think, emotionally, mentally, and just procedurally, you have to start getting comfortable not being involved in everything that's happening yeah. within the company. And I think you then have to start empowering your team. And I think that's where, you know, having a good grasp of the finance really, really matters. And like specifically like for lawyers, so one of these tools that, um, you know, working on with lawyers is creating like an employee ROI calculator. And really what it does is it, it it's, it's a tool that helps law firms figure out, well, what targets should I give my staff? Because if I'm not there to manage their day to day, like you're going to need to give them some targets and guidance and trust them to hit their targets. And the thing is, those targets need to be aligned to the company's financial objectives. Yeah. And I think that as you start growing past a million, you do need to really manage your business through the numbers and you have to give your team more flexibility, but also give them clarity on what are the targets? What are the metrics that they need to be marching towards so that you can free up your time to do, you know, higher level things for the organization? Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing that this makes me think of is I'm talking with more business owners who are at the, the seven or, or multi seven figure or even multi six figure level who are who previously had this mindset of if any client asks us for a refund, that is an issue that is alarm bells are being raised. Uh, and that's, that's a situation that we want to avoid. And as they get bigger, it's less about avoiding a bad review or a refund or an upset customer period and more about, okay, how can we keep the percentages of those low? When I, I'm starting to see parallels between that in general and like financials as a whole, like it's, it's less about particular numbers and it's more about percentages and kind of things trending in the right directions in terms of looking at your numbers I know that financials are such a huge part of it and there are other kind of metrics and things that people should be focusing on. So if, if someone is trying to put together a, a dashboard of the main metrics that they need to be tracking every week, every month, what do you see as like the must have financial metrics that need to be added on that board? Absolutely. So in general, I'm definitely going to say is you want to monitor, Hey, what's going on with revenue? 
Um, you, you do want to, I mean, because your revenue is going to tell you, hey, how much of our products and services are customers buying? Now, mm. depending on like how you do your accounting, whether you do accrual or cash basis, I'm going to assume most people are kind of on a cash basis. So, yeah. um, you know, if you're looking at your revenue, that's telling you, you know, you know, how much are you selling? And then also, I would say is you do want to look at your revenue by like type. If you're a law firm, mm. look at it by case type. If you're a product-based business, look at your revenue by product or you're a service-based right. business. You do want to get some level of, you know, granularity to see, okay, which of our services or which of our products, which ones are selling well? Um, because I do think that gives you better ideas on like, hey, where do we, what type of product do we need to market more or create content for? Um, yeah. And then I would say you also want to look at your productivity of, you know, looking at how much is your total people cost as it relates to your revenue. Like, you know, if you're, you know, if your revenue is three times more than your people cost, hey, you, you'll probably have enough to cover people costs, overhead costs, and the profits and tax for your Super business. Well said, okay. And so you want to make sure that you have that cover because what I often find is when companies are in that growth stage, they're like, well, we made enough money to cover payroll. It's like, well, what about all the other expenses? Because right. um, <laughs> you got a lot more than just payroll to cover, you know. Um, and so you want to look at those type of things. And, 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 a, and a third one I would say is, although even if you are on a cash basis, you do want to look at who, what customers have you sent invoices to that haven't paid yet? Mm -hmm. Because there are so many businesses that aren't looking at that. And like, you've already provided a quality service. So yes. you have a right to get paid for the work you've already done. Um, and sometimes, you know, invoices get lost or people just need a reminder. And if you don't say anything or you don't have a process to say anything about that, then you might not get paid. And so yeah. I would say you definitely want to look at those type of things. Okay. That's, that's super, super helpful. And I know when I asked this before we went live about uh, your recommendations around cash flow and things, and you gave that great tip of having the team be a third of uh, overall revenue, uh, you helped me clarify that that includes what you pay yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And, 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 you know, and I think that's an important factor because you do want to look at, you know, what you pay yourself on a market based rate, because I mean, I am mm -hmm. a CPA, so I understand that, you know, some people are an S corp, so they pay themselves a reasonable salary and, and the rest of their compensation they take in distributions. So right. if you're looking at your P and L, all of the money you take out of the business may not show up on your P and L. So I always tell people is, you know, you can just do, you know, some quick calculator math of just saying, based on like, you know, if you were taking a reasonable salary for the type of work you do, what does that look like? Um, yeah. Because I think that that gives you a better idea because what you don't want to do is you don't want to underestimate your expenses because of your tax strategy. Or if you're mm -hmm. taking a ton of money out of the business, you don't want to overestimate it. You do want to give yourself an idea on like, do we have enough money coming in that can cover the people costs? Yeah. Because if you continue to grow, eventually you may have to hire someone else to do what you are doing in the business now. 
and you want to make sure your position your your business you want to make sure your pricing is positioned for you to be able to afford that decision because as you grow you're gonna have to grow out of some of the details a little bit more because it's just the business is going to have a life of its own and you're going to need other people in places and you want to make sure that financially you're positioned well to be able to handle that yeah yeah that's really good i um i'm curious with your thought this makes me think of uh, a pattern i've started to to see and hear about especially with some law firm owners i've talked to uh i've seen this come up where lawyers uh form a type of partnership mm -hmm. and the strategy seems to be let's let's work together, not have any other team, take home most of our revenue with a little bit left over to cover taxes. Can you speak at all to, to your perspective on issues with that approach? Yeah, so I always tell people is if you're going to take that approach, um, my, I would say my honest answer to a person is in that approach, you're not really building a business. You are building a very high paying job because mm -hmm. it is all going to be dependent on you. Like a business requires like a system where it is not solely dependent on you to deliver for this thing to continue working. Yeah. Um, and if that's the route that you want to build, if that's what you want to do, it is perfectly fine because it can be stressful having employees. So sure. I completely understand why people would say, hey, we just want to go the partner route. We want to make a comfortable living and we just want to go that route of we'll do the work and we'll keep it manageable. And I always tell people is you want to be honest about that up front. Now, yeah. I will yeah. say is if you go that route of just saying like, hey, we just want to keep all the profits between you know, myself and the other partner, it's also understand is that if you change your mind and you decide that, hey, we really do want to build a team because eventually we want to get out of some of the details. When yeah. you make that switch, what you may realize is that your income may go down for a period of time because you may have been paying yourself more than a market-based yeah. wage for what you do. And you just got to be comfortable with the fact that, hey, if you are going to switch from, hey, us being self-employed and doing all the work ourselves to hiring a team, you may your income may go down for a period of time. But if you have a strategy to scale and grow, your income can grow back to the level that you had it before. Yeah, but you got to have the stomach to navigate that short term journey depending on your strategy. Yeah, super, super smart, Terrell. Well, man, I feel like I could talk to you forever, bud. Any, <laughs> any, any parting words of wisdom before we let you go? And again, I'll put everybody, uh, for everyone, I'll put the, the website to, to learn more about Terrell and, and either get one of his resources, tune into his podcast, subscribe to that, or, you know, book call and see if, if you might be a good fit to work one-to-one. -one. Terrell, any, any final words of wisdom or kind of your, your, your go-to pieces of value that you don't like leaving people without saying? Yeah, I, I would say definitely when it comes down to finances, understanding that finance is about your, the finance side of your business is constantly telling a story about mm -hmm. you as a leader 
is telling a story about you as a business owner, you as a service or product provider. And one of the things that we all have to do as, you know, what kind of sent me on this journey of accounting is accounting is the language of business. And mm -hmm. you got to understand what story are my numbers telling about my business and about what I'm doing. And the better you get at reading your story, the better you'll get at making, you know, smarter money decisions. And, you know, if you want to be a mission oriented business, it's just mm -hmm. understanding like you need to understand the finances enough to make sure that you aren't making decisions on the mission side that are going to eventually cause you to not be able to achieve your ultimate goal, because you do have to balance both the mission and the numbers. And the better you get at understanding the financial side of your business, the better you will be in a position to actually achieve your mission and actually enjoy the journey a lot more. So well said, man. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Terrell, for being here. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in live, for dropping the hearts if you watched live or on the replay, to everybody who uh, is tuning into the podcast. Sam Malay says, Terrell is the man. It's true. It's true. All right, Terrell, thanks, everybody, we'll, we'll see you soon. Bye, everyone. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Business Growth Advantage with me, Joey C. Vitale. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see y'all next week. Learn the